for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Mark Elliott. How's it going today, Mark? Hey, everybody. Doing great. Glad to have you on. I'm really excited to sit down and chat with you. I've been listening to your music all day. I was about to say all morning, but it's pretty late here, so I was listening (laughs) to your music all day today. And uh, I'm really excited to sit down and chat with you a little bit and get to know more about you and everything you got going on. Well, great. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So first off, before we kind of jump into everything, uh, let's kind of take a minute to give you the opportunity to kind of introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background for everyone that's just kind of meeting you for the first time. Sure. Well, uh, I'm a Nashville songwriter. I'm based here in Nashville. And I uh, actually, I think it was February 8th, I just crossed my uh, anniversary of 32 years in Nashville. So I like to tell people that I showed up with a very beautiful 90s mullet, but uh, apparently I'm not going out with one. But um, So I moved here uh, from Washington, D.C. I, I lived all over uh, the country, really, but uh, my teenage years were D.C., and I was playing folk clubs and bluegrass rooms and bars and um, had an opportunity to open for a legendary folk singer named Tom Paxton, who took me under his wing uh, when I was still a teenager, uh, and I would write songs and record them into this realistic uh, tape recorder, and I'd mail him the cassette, and he would redline those songs and send them back. It was really an amazing, uh, amazing time, amazing opportunity for me to learn. And uh, right after I graduated college, and I was just going to keep playing uh, bars around D.C., Tom called the house and said, hey, can you be in Nashville by January? This was maybe November. And I didn't know anything about Nashville. I knew – Keyhaw and Nashville now. I didn't know anything else about Nashville, but he uh, suggested that Nashville would become the new Greenwich Village. Um, and he was right, uh, especially for the 90s. Yeah. And so he moved me down here with a publishing company called Cherry Lane Music. And I started going to work, uh, writing songs for other people and learning. And uh, over the decades, I've written for uh, a lot of different publishing companies. But the other side of my career has been uh, a singer-songwriter, so I think I've released seven or eight records on my own at this point and have a band called Runaway Home. So I make my life between writing and uh, performing. Awesome, awesome. So you, you've been in Nashville for a little bit. Um, yeah. I, it, it's kind of interesting because a lot of the musicians we bring on here are relatively new to Nashville. Like they've been there at most maybe three or four years upon occasion we get that rare they've been there their entire lives like native nashville I'm sure yeah there's a couple of them yeah <laughs> um how has nashville kind of changed over the years obviously you were the, you joined or you went to nashville like early on in the 90s how has nashville kind of changed well dramatically i mean um just as a city it's changed i mean when i first moved here Beyond a couple of meat and threes, you couldn't really get uh, a decent meal here. I mean, that's probably a little bit extreme, but it was hard to find really great food. It's become a bit of a foodie city, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We have major universities here, and uh, we have, other than the music business, we have a healthcare uh, industry here. Between that and music and the the, uh, healthcare and and, uh, education, all that, Uh, It's a pretty transient city. There's a lot of people from everywhere. Um, But it really, I'd say maybe about 10 years ago, I started exploding. Uh, Our our growth rate here in terms of new buildings is really, really insane. Uh, On the good side, you know, I moved here from D.C., so I was used to a a big city, and I love big cities for what they are. But um, I think we're going to experience some growing pains here. We've We've kind of ballooned up with uh, it's shot, you know, housing and rental prices through the roof. Mm-hmm. We don't have uh, we don't have infrastructure like most cities, yeah. you know, subway, 
bus system's a little iffy. Yeah. So we have tons of people and tons of new blood, tons of great restaurants. Yeah. Broadway music scene is uh, pretty interesting. And so there's a lot of good, but it's, um, uh, I think it's, there's a struggle involved with it too. Yeah. And if you want to talk about Nashville changing as an industry, as a music industry, it's yeah. hard to, it, it's hard to maybe do that in the time we have yeah. to talk, but uh, the the music industry that I was born into here, uh, the songwriting industry, where there really was a blue collar industry, uh, songwriter industry. I mean, there were a lot of us that had little small publishing deals, you know, twenty thousand a year dollar or twenty thousand dollar a year deals, and as long as you stayed within earshot of your draw every year you could keep that deal well with the advent of digital technology and streaming especially it's really killed off that part of the industry mm-hmm. the amount of money that a song generates in the digital domain yeah. compared to the uh, mechanical domain of the past whether it was terrestrial radio or or cds and albums and cassettes the, it's it's stunning and it really mm-hmm. has i think hurt the industry a lot um, I think there's a daily debate anymore among those of us in this town about streaming. Uh, it's the new reality. It's not going away. And there are some great things about it. Um, I think it's allowed a lot of independent artists to access fans and, and be able to put out music where in years past you had to have some money or some backing or some you know people in your corner. Uh, so that's a good thing, but it really has uh, changed the way that this town makes money because mm-hmm. everything is based on a song here, right? All the ancillary businesses from studios to management companies to cartage companies, attorneys, you name it, they are on the back of a song. And so the town is, uh, I think, in a very weird space. It's growing by the day. I don't even recognize music row anymore uh but at the same time i think struggling to um be the city it needs to be too so it's a yeah it's a double-edged blade yeah i'm kind of interested the next time i come up there because i went in january of 2020 right before the pandemic hit i was there for three or four days and we got to see some of the city a little bit more than i had in the past or we had in the past and now it's just kind of like Oh, it's been a year and a half. I'm really curious how much everything has changed. Well, well, certainly in 2020, you got a pretty good view of um, how it was starting to explode. But Mm -hmm. just in two years, in terms of hotels and condos and and how downtown has blown up, uh, it might be unrecognizable even in two years. Yeah. As long Um, as Nashville doesn't go through the same issues that they did uh in northern north dakota when they had the big fracking boom and they were just building and building and building condos and apartments and all this stuff uh just to accommodate all the oil field workers that's right now the fracking isn't nearly as what it nearly what it used to be and they can't give away these condos right well i think we're safe from that only because like i said before there are there are a lot of industry here and, and three main industries mm-hmm. uh, and two main industries beyond music. Um, so even with the music business changing practically by the day, you have healthcare here, you have a university system here of probably, I don't know, half dozen or more universities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we probably won't run into that, but at some point, every, every boom has a little bit of a bust, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. But uh, it's awesome that you've been there to see Nashville at its highs, its lows, and just kind of been there through the entire growing process. And obviously your music has gone through the same growing process over the course. You said 32 years, right? You're, you've been 32 in Nashville? years. Uh, right. So obviously your music has gone through uh, some growing pains through that entire process or through that time. Um, how, how's... Um, First off, like what first got you into music? Let's start there before we go. Well, uh, I was lucky to come of age in probably the best decade for music ever, and that was the 1970s. Uh, I think back a lot, especially like 
around my 10th year, 1977. Mm-hmm. And anywhere around that, you take Billboard's top 100 songs of the year. Not only are they obviously their hits, but they're classic songs. And so I really, when I first got caught that initial fire for, for music, and it was the singer songwriters of the seventies, it was my parents eight track collection, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was, I, I think I became a lover of words first, probably because of the seventies. Granted there was, you know, disco and all this great melody going on, but lyrics were, I think front and center with, most popular music and commercial music of the seventies. So I, I connected with, um, you know, the John Denver's and James Taylor's and Lightfoot and Carol King and all these wonderful lyricists. Yeah. Um, and that lit the initial fire for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, that, that was, that was, uh, where you kind of started the exploration of writing music or where did you, yeah, you know, uh, I started pretty late as a guitar player. Okay. Probably about tw- 12 or 13. And, you know, you talk to most guitar players in Nashville and they're, they'll start talking about the fact that they began in a previous lifetime, you know, <laughs> or three years old. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I really learned how to play the guitar so that I could do something with my song. So I think I really connected with the idea of being a writer before I really understood what that really meant. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that really solidified that for me was I was lucky in high school. It was still an era where I had a full-time English course, of course, mm-hmm. and a full-time creative writing course, two separate courses for the entire year. And so I had a lot of writing and creative writing experience um, in high school. Um, and then I was a social work major, uh, in college and there was a ton of writing for that. So I, I, I really, um, I I really kind of hooked onto writing pretty early and I think became a better musician so that I could do something with it. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I I know writing's very prevalent in your day-to-day life now, as you became an author as well, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, when you sit down to like write music, since you're kind of actively going through this process right now, cause I saw on your Instagram and stuff that you're recording and in the process of making new music, uh, what yeah. kind of is your uh, creative process when you sit down to like write or do you actually sit down and write? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, very early on, we were talking about Tom Paxton earlier mm-hmm. and, uh, he gave me two pieces of, of advice that I maybe didn't really understand when he gave it to me, but I pretended I did. And then I grew to understood it, understand it as mm-hmm. the years went on. One was going back to talking about Nashville was he said, pretending that pretend when you move to Nashville, Mark, that you're moving to Cleveland. And I can remember going, Oh yeah, that's great. And thinking to myself, I don't know what the hell that means. But what he meant was pretend you're moving to any city in the United States, mm-hmm. fall in love with that city for what it has to offer because you need to move there, be a part of that city. You don't be a six monther or mm-hmm. a five year. Don't go, Hey, I'm going to give myself X amount of years. Then I'm out, move there, make yourself part of the community, your success and failure will ebb and flow. And there'll be years where you're on top and years that you're not, but you need to fall in love with where you live. Mm-hmm. And Nashville for all of my initial uh, complaints about, about it at the front end of this interview Nashville is a beautiful place to live. I mean, I'm an outdoors guy, so it's great for the outdoors. I've met the best friends of my life here. Uh, It's an easy place to live. Yeah. Uh, Second piece of advice he gave me was, and this gets back to your question about writing and discipline. Discipline and inspiration are connected to him. You don't have one without the other. And you're going to be far more, and I find this absolutely true of me, far more inspired if you're disciplined. So I write every day. Mm-hmm. Whether it's songs, uh, I have a um, a literary newsletter on Substack called Words from the Hollow that I write on. I write books. So I write every day. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, your antenna for ideas uh, stays pretty honed. I mean, I can drive down the road and that that phrase will jump off the billboard at me. 
or I can be at a restaurant and hear a, a, a conversation behind me and mm-hmm. something will stick. But if you're not writing all the time, I think those, the ability to kind of pick up on the, on that life's input is really hampered. Um, so I would say first that my first trick of how do I write songs? I just write every day. Now mm-hmm. I don't write good things every day. Yeah. Right. But I write every day. And, um, there's a lot of co-writing in Nashville. It's part of the social scene. It's part of the industry uh, scene, the networking scene. Um, I'm a pretty collaborative guy, I think, mm-hmm. by nature. But when you move to Nashville, I think collaboration is a huge part of success here, whether you're writing songs with other people or you know, certainly in the studio producing with other people. Um, that's kind of the magic of it. Uh, so when I sit down to write a song with, with somebody else, a lot of times, you know, we'll have each person will come in with their list of titles that we probably never write because we just carry them around and mm-hmm. never get around to writing them. But I'd say most of the songs for me these days come about from real conversations. So the first hour writing a song with me, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions about your life. Bit of a vampire that way. Hey, that's that's good to know, right? Like it's, it's, everybody's got their own unique, unique way of doing things and it works for you. You've, you've been doing it. So it works. Um, it works. Has, uh, so co-writing is like something that's become very synonymous with Nashville. Was that something that you had done prior to Nashville or was that a habit? No, not, not at all. Um, and I would, venture to say that most people probably don't before Mm -hmm. they move here. Um, But it is a pretty on, on one side, it's a pretty necessary networking strategy. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the fastest way to meet people and to meet, to get to know who they know. Um, And there's some strategy involved. If you're going to pitch a song, it's nice to have two different uh, people or teams pitching a song. Mm -hmm. Uh, So even now, uh, you know, I have a publishing deal now with a great group of people called um, Three Minutes Away Music. Mm-hmm. And if I'm writing with somebody else, um, if they have a publishing deal, they've got a team of people that will also uh, work the song. If they don't have a publishing deal, at least I have them yeah. out pitching the song. So there's automatically at least a couple of you doing something with the song. So it makes some sense. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so kind of shifting gears here a little bit talking about more of your music, um, just your music in general. Uh, let's talk about drunk for nothing. Cause that is the most recent single that yeah. you have out. You've had a very busy 2021 given the uh, pandemic and all that stuff, even a busy 2020 as well. Um, wh- what's kind of the uh, story behind drunk for nothing? Well, yeah, in general, I, I you're right. I, I started, uh, releasing a lot of uh, solo music during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of, Writers in Nashville, my whole, I'm sitting in the control room of my studio right now. The back half of my house is a studio. Mm-hmm. So during uh, during COVID, I was able to write and record a lot. So um, it was, that's the, the one nice thing about, you know, Spotify in that respect was it did give a, a platform during a pandemic where we were not on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can't, I can't go into the amount of gigs I lost. That's too sad of a story. But <laughs> we were able to still you know, do things through releasing music. So uh, I think Drunk for Nothing was probably the fifth or sixth song I put out during that time. And Drunk for Nothing, there are a lot of drinking songs, obviously. This is yeah. Nashville. Yeah. This one is, uh, I guess it's a little more about like, it's not getting drunk for the purpose of celebrating or partying. You're not chasing blues away or trying to heal a heartache. Just sometimes it's about kicking your feet up and letting life be what it'll be. So it's a, it's a fun, uh, laid back, uh, party song in a way. Mm-hmm. Awesome, uh, awesome. It's got a pretty strong lyric to it. I think one of the things that I'm, uh, that I'm particularly proud of it is that it's a very commercial song. You know, of course the subject matter is, is commercial. It's a drinking song, but especially when I sit down to write what I know is already a pretty hammered out topic. Mm-hmm. I, I take it, I take it really seriously and my co-writers take it seriously. I wrote it with a good pal of mine, uh, Gabe Redoulis, and we tried to say, you know, how, how good can we make a lyric about drinking? So mm-hmm. it's always a good, uh, it's always a good challenge, especially when you're on a 
subject matter that's been hammered to death. For sure. So <laughs> I, get, I guess the next appropriate question for this is, what were you drinking when you were working on this song? Well, I will tell you that my favorite is I'm a I'm a Scotch guy. Okay. Um, my dad dr- uh, drank Scotch. I never I never hooked onto it earlier in my life or as a young man, but later in life I did. And there's a great thing about Scotch is they can they're so different. And I, I learned to kind of like the the peatier ones, the real smoky ones. Yeah. People that don't like them will say it's an ashtray drink, but I like them. Yeah. My dad enjoys doers. That's what he drinks. Okay. Yeah. Every day, and it's like mine is Lagavulin. Uh, <laughs> it, for me, I, I I can't really get into Scotch, but I do drink whiskey. So, yeah. You know. Well, that's you know we're an hour away from Kentucky too. So, yeah. uh, the other thing that's happened, and partly because the partly even with the pandemic, is an explosion of these little micro. I guess you can't call them breweries, but micro distilleries. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you have all of these great whiskeys and great bourbons coming yep. out of, uh, Kentucky. In fact, we have something called the bourbon trail. Uh-huh. So yep. you can, I've been about an I've, hour and a half. I've been through it. Here and it's, been uh, through it. Yeah. It's, uh, la- or not this past September, but September, uh, 2020, my family and I were, uh, vacationing in Western Kentucky. Cause we were kind of mm-hmm. getting burnt out of not being able to see each other. Cause I live in Texas. Uh, my parents live in Florida and my sister lives in Indiana. And we were like, Hey, let's meet in Kentucky. We met in like Paducah, Kentucky. Cause that's where we used to vacation all the time when we were kids. And then we found the bourbon trail. It was like, Hey, looking for something to do. Let's go do that. And, it's a good time. Oh, it was so I had, I've had a, I've had a lot of good influences to write drunk for nothing. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, is there any uh, videos for? Did you do a, like a music video or anything for that? Or no, this this is the only one that I didn't. Okay. Um, so it's just out there on the on the streaming. Uh, the other songs either have a full blown video or have lyric videos. Gotcha. To them, but this one uh, is just the song out there. Gotcha. So uh, of the six songs, well, yeah, six songs that you released during the pandemic were they originally going to lead to, or were they originally for an album or was, what was kind of the thought behind? Well, it was really, um, as an artist, I, I had a solo career early on. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, since then I've had a band career with a band called runaway home mm-hmm. and, uh, we're still together and traveling, although got sidelined with COVID. Yeah. And so really, um, what COVID did for me was allow me to, re-explore a solo career that I hadn't in a long time. Mm-hmm. New music, new vocal sound, new production. Um, and also, as much as I have a very uh, complicated and at times adversarial relationship with streaming, yeah, um, I know it's the game that will always be around and you got to learn to to adapt. And yeah. so I think these singles for me during COVID were also – uh, vehicles for me to learn uh, streaming and, and distribu- digital distribution a little bit better. Um, Cause I've always been the terrestrial radio guy or uh, the merch table at the gig guy. And so I, I learned a lot about, um, um, about the digital world and streaming and these singles were kind of little test vehicles for me, yeah. but I, I think um, I am heading towards a, an album project that'll probably be a, a combination of some of these singles I've put out and then some new stuff that it, that's cooking. And I'm kind of actually thinking about heading towards a vinyl, maybe a vinyl project in the fall with it. Nice. That's I, I, re, I released a vinyl uh, in my teen years, uh, late, late in my teen, 18, 19, somewhere in there uh, called common ground. It was my first record and that's what got Tom Paxson's attention. So I figure, well, maybe every 40 years we ought to do a record. <laughs> Hey, I'm a big fan of vinyl. Like I'm in the process of any, well, I started like just before the pandemic hit and I was buying up uh, any time I went to a show, if they had vinyl there, I'd buy it because I knew how expensive it was to press vinyl. So it was like, you know what? I, I'll help you out there. Like, obviously if I can yeah. afford it, cause you can't all like as often as I was going to shows before the pandemic, you can't always afford <laughs> 
yeah. to shell out a hundred dollars every weekend when you're going to two or three shows a weekend. So no, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, but, it's interesting with, with CDs, I think, especially with runaway home, which is mm-hmm. a Americana group. Um, our demographic uh, was solidly, solidly in the CDs. Mm-hmm. So we were selling CDs when other people, other independent artists were struggling with it because our demographic just, that's what they bought. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But then their cars started breaking down. They had to buy new cars. And guess yep. what didn't come in those yep. cars? Yep. So that's, I just went through that this past year. Yeah. Uh, somebody gave me a CD the other day and uh, I knew I had one in the living room, but I hadn't used it so long, so long and the thing doesn't work. Yeah. So I'm listening to it in the, you know, I do have a music computer with a CD slot, but um, it's crazy. Yeah. I'm in that same boat. Like I have no, <laughs> no like none of my computers have CD slots. The only thing that I almost had was my dad, uh, a few years back, my dad uh, bought a boat and it had an old school five disc changer on it. And he's like, <laughs> I have no need for this. Or it had an old school five disc changer. And then it also had a cassette tape deck where you could like duplicate uh, cassette tapes. And I was like, that's cool. I want that just for, just to have it. Um, and then yeah. I, Even if you're up, not around water, you put it in the backyard and go get in your boat and listen to CDs. Yeah. And I was just sitting uh-huh. there. I was just like, I didn't really need this at the time. I didn't need the CD player, but now it's just like, dang it. Wish I would have kept that one because I've got all these yeah. demo CDs that all these bands said me. And it's like, right. I have no way to listen to this. I'm sorry. And it's really changed. I was having this very conversation tonight with a friend of mine. Listening to streaming has really changed the way I listen, good and bad. Now, mm-hmm. as a as a just straight consumer of music, not not thinking about being a musician or a writer, I really love it, right? Because yeah. it's instant access to whoever I want to hear, and I can yeah. quickly go check somebody out. But I don't listen when I stream. My attention span is shorter. Yep, it's less likely I'm going to listen to a collection of songs from people. It's more likely that if I do that, it's not going to be the right collection, like mm-hmm. an album would be put together yeah. purposefully, right? So, yeah. my other concern about streaming is changing how listeners ingest music mm-hmm. um, differently from albums and CDs and even cassettes and eight tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was the issue I had when I was prepping for this interview. I was listening to your music, and I just blind I blindly opened or not blindly i opened up uh spotify and i just blindly started playing your music yeah i'm sitting here listening to it a few hours few hours ago and i'm getting ready and whatnot and then all of a sudden like music that's not yours starts playing because it starts populating it's like oh he likes listening to this music let's start populating a playlist that plays music similar to this and i'm like and i get to a point where it's like all right, his voice changed or something because this isn't <laughs> this yeah. isn't him. And then I find out I'm listening to like Chris Stapleton or something, and I'm like, yeah, nope, yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad it's put me in good company, but yeah, I, I, that is one of the interesting things about it. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of my friends and I have, uh, you know, either bought new LP gear or finally replaced the needle that's been broken for years, and so a lot of us are into going to the uh, used record store and buying buying yep. albums, which yep. we we still have some of those around here, and and great it escape. really has been, yeah, Great Escape is one of them, absolutely, um, and uh, it it's a reminder of how we used to listen to music because mm-hmm. not only do you sit down and kind of ingest it differently, but it has a time limit, right? I mean, what five songs, six songs on a yeah. side. And then it's going to end. And if you want to continue listening, you got to walk over there and flip it over where you can just have Spotify or Apple music or Amazon playing in the background for hours. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it washes into your brain and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, And I'm sure there's a combination of pros and cons to that, but it's very different listening experience. Oh yeah. It really is. I really is. That's I just enjoy vinyl because it's, Put like just to put a fine point on it, it's 
what the artists wanted you to listen to when they wanted it, wanted you to listen to it. And so you're getting the experience that the artists intended when they yeah. were working on the full album. So that's right. That's right. But if you do end up doing a full vinyl project, I'm all about it. Let me know. Great. I will. Yeah, I, I'm all about it. Um, so that's cool. And so you are in the process of recording right now, correct? I was reading that correctly on Instagram. Yeah, so a couple different recording uh, paths. One is, uh, again, I have this new publishing deal where I'm a staff writer for the publishing company, and I mm -hmm. love it. We're back uh, in the studio writing, and I'm writing songs all the time, and we'll go in to um, the studio with a, with a studio band and um, cut demos. And it's a really fascinating process, fun process. You generally work on a union card, which are three-hour blocks of recording time. And, of course, the more songs you're able to record, the cheaper per song is, right? Yeah. I mean, if you go in, it's going to cost you what it's going to cost you for three hours, whether you do one song or five. Mm -hmm. But typ typically, most publishing companies and writers try to get five songs done in three hours. And it's really one of those only in Nashville kind of issues because on one hand you got to keep the session going and you got to keep moving or you're not going to get five yeah but on the other hand you don't want to record five that just for the sake of the number they've got to be good yeah. and creative and these musicians I, I just can't say enough about studio musicians in nashville in particular mm -hmm. their ability to do things fast but do things creatively and with surprises and interest is really something to behold even after 32 years of doing it. So one of my favorite things about having a new publishing deal is being able to go back in and do that again. So I'm doing that. And then I'm also recording uh, with friends of mine, uh, my own stuff and uh, to be released over the next few months. And I think the next one will probably be up the end of April. And I think it's going to be a song called back to the garden, which is kind of a, Kind of reminds me of an old band song, The Band. Yeah. Um, got that kind of a, a groove, folk rock groove. And it's all about planting your feet where your heart is. Yeah. And which I wholeheartedly believe in. And, and I'm lucky enough to say that most of my adult life, I've been able to pull off that uh, spot. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to hear the new tune in April. And Thanks. I know a lot of people are probably excited to, to hear new music coming from you because they've kind of, you know, it's a, that weird thing pandemic, you kind of get yourself into a rhythm of releasing so many songs a year. And then you got to kind of keep up with that flow. Even you're right. You're so. right. And again, it's a pro and con list on the good side of that, which I think streaming has led me to is a release schedule that is quicker. Mm -hmm. And the good side of that is that people, you know, you, you build up a, a momentum. People start expecting new music. Mm -hmm. They start wanting new music. So you can build up a, a, a hunger and a momentum among yeah. your fan base because of how you release through streaming. Yeah. But you're right. The other side of that coin is then the expectation of uh, how many singles you release goes up. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a thing. It, it, it's, a give and, it's a give and take almost. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a good driver. Yeah. And then um, as far as live shows, what, what are your, what's your live show situation looking like? Are you actively playing gigs right now or? Yeah, they've started to come back. They started to come back the end of last year. Mm -hmm. Although tours used to be, especially with Runaway Home, my Americana band, <clears throat> you know, a, a standard tour might be out for two weeks and yeah. playing 10 of them. Yeah. And now, you know, as tours are being, you know, put together with spit and duct tape, mm -hmm. <laughs> they are out for five days and playing two or out for seven and playing three. Yeah. So they're back and we're starting to tour again. But um, a lot of the venues, especially acoustic, smaller venues that we play uh, didn't make it through COVID. Yeah. Uh, so that's a struggle. But yeah, I, uh, I actually just got back from a solo tour through Colorado. Okay. I was out in the, the Western slopes, the ski areas yeah. and, uh, and played some really nice, uh, listening rooms um and that was a lot of fun and then runaway home is headed to upstate new york nice. uh, next month uh and that was a a tour that had been canceled twice right. yeah you know 
Um, so we're really looking forward to getting back out there. Cause I think, I think especially, especially for artists of my era, the end result of everything that we do is a live gig, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can have the best promo ever. You can have videos and lyric videos and releases on Spotify that have this many listeners, but all that to me doesn't matter very much. What matters is getting in front of a live audience yeah. and playing the energy that happens, um, the money that happens. I mean, that's the last brick and mortar record store left on the planet is your live yeah. gig. Yep. So all, you know, all, uh, all rivers lead to a, lead, lead to a stage for me. So I, uh, I can't wait to get back out there on a more, uh, uh, continued and, uh, you know, constant basis. It's been a catch a sketch can lately, but it's coming back. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know uh, I go out to New Mexico pretty regularly and they've been doing live shows pretty consistently. They'll bring out a lot of the red dirt, Texas country artists. And even out here in Texas, like I I hate saying it, but we've never really lost shows. As, As long as you kind of knew who to talk to, even early stages of the pandemic, you knew where to find a show at because well texas is its own beast in terms of a music business oh yeah i mean you have you have not only the i mean the red dirt moniker is kind of a new moniker for something that's old right yeah uh you know we we've known about robert earl Keane and guy clark and pat green and all these great yeah. guys forever now they probably call it red dirt but um but you can have people that you've never heard of playing dance hall, and you know this better than I, mm. playing dance halls in Texas, making a million dollars a year, at least yeah. pandemic that you would have, you, you say their name, you know, no clue who they are, but you say their name in Texas, yeah. different deal. Oh yeah. So you sure. have this own little like separate world down there. Oh yeah. Cause like it, when I was living over in, uh, I lived in Roswell, New Mexico for four years and that's how I was introduced to a lot of the, uh, red dirt country or like the Texas country artists it was like they bring uh bring some of these guys over to play a show it's like oh i've never heard of them oh you haven't they've recorded with these guys and these guys and these guys and i'm like wait what what's going on here ed so yeah no it's uh yeah that's pretty crazy but that that's that's one of the cool things about texas for sure it is it really is it's its own thing um cool so live shows going on always which is amazing to hear that they're coming back and it's unfortunate that a lot of the venues didn't make it i remember like early on during the pandemic like two weeks in a lot of the venues were saying yeah we just aren't going to be able to make it and it was just like that was a sad sign right there that it was like man this is going to be something serious yeah because audiences are pardon me are starving to get back out there yeah um and they want to be a part of live music again, but this push pull of the variants of COVID and everything else is really, um, you know, you have a lot of these false starts Mm -hmm. and I think, uh, you know, certain venues tried to hold on and then something would hit again. And, um, it's just been really rough. Like, I mean, you know, I tell people always that music business is hard enough. Yeah. You know, you throw in a little pandemic and we're all throwing our hands up. Oh yeah. Cause it's a, a lot of the venues operate so close to the red as far as like profitability and whatnot. It's like most yeah. of them, if they have a bad month, that's the difference between moving on and call, packing it up, you know? So well, and that's why, especially as an independent artist, you have to be very creative about how you build tours. Now. I mean, uh, that might include school programs, which runaway home does a lot of, it might include um, parks and recreation um, or city, uh, you know, Founders Day, whatever. Yeah, you yeah. need to really plug into kind of non-traditional venue types these days yeah. to be able to really glue a real tour together. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. Like, I 100% agree. So um, kind of outside of the music, we touched on this a little bit ago um, that you're also an author. Uh, kind of talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, obviously being a songwriter, 
for years and a, and a fairly disciplined one. Um, I was very used to riding within two and a half to three minute constraints, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which has its own challenges, you know, to say what you need to say in three minutes and say it well. Um, but I started riding, this was years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I started riding a band blog. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, just kind of a, a blog about our tours and thoughts about what was going on with the band and, you know, a thousand words, 1500 words. And I started falling in love with uh, long form writing, uh, the room to write, the room to develop an idea differently than you have in a, in a song, of course. And initially, I started thinking about a book, but I do what most uh, authors before they become authors say, and that is, I don't know what the hell I'd write about. Yeah. Um, and I finally hooked on to uh, my initial book. Uh, it's called The Sons of Starmount. Um, in fact, I've got a copyright here for everybody to see. I don't know if that comes across. Yep. Anyway, that's what, that's what it looks like. Um, it's a memoir of my 10th year, 1977, which we talked about a bit ago. And the concept of the book is we all have a place and time in our childhood that defines our adulthood. And it doesn't have to be the 70s for you. It doesn't have to be North Florida where this took place. But I think all of us have that moment we can look back and go, that's kind of why I am the way I am. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a 70s standby me uh, book. And I just fell in love with learning how to write uh, long form. And I thought mm-hmm. that writing songs would um, prepare me, but it really didn't. Other than I'm disciplined. I know how to sit my butt down and write and stay yeah. there and write. And, and songwriting taught me how to do that. But I had to really learn again. It was really great. Not that I've done everything there is to do in songwriting. I certainly haven't. But after 30 years of doing it professionally, I feel like I've kind of been around the ring a little bit. So it yeah. felt really good to be a beginner at something again. Yeah. And I hooked on to it pretty quickly. Uh, I also have a, a, a literary newsletter out there called uh, Words from the Hollow. Mm-hmm. And it's on a um, platform called Substack. Okay. So people would just go to substack.com and type in words from the hollow and they can follow it. Um, I've got, this is also out on a audible book. I narrated a version of it. And then I am in the last uh, few weeks of finishing a two year project. I've, I, I mentioned much earlier in the interview that I have a degree in social work. Yeah. And so I have uh, at different times in my life uh, plugged in and out of working um, inpatient adolescent psychiatric units as counselor. Mm-hmm. And so I started a book about kind of a memoir on a boots on the ground view of working with young people with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called anonymous questions. And I'm really excited about that. So it's really invigorated the creative soul of me to have a, a medium that I not only had to relearn, but now feel like I can kind of flourish in. So <laughs> it's been a, it's been a blessing at this end of my career to pick a different uh, mode. For sure. For sure. Now I'm, I'm going to s- sit on this for a little bit because I've been in the shadows of live and amplified, been working on a little book project myself. Um, Great. Very much. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Gene Shepard? Sure. Um, so it's very much in the same vein of him. It's like a book of a lot of short stories from where I grew up. Cause a lot of his stories were based about 20 minutes from where I grew up. So it, it was, Which was of, Roswell or no, no, no. Uh, South Chicago. I grew up in South Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just going to kind of pick your brain here a little bit, very selfishly, but, um, w- as far as like, getting through your first project as an author, first book project, what'd you find to be the hardest part? I think um, there is a voice. There are two voices that come into play with writing a book. Hmm. One, I think is we call the author voice, right? Mm -hmm. And it is, we all have the voice that like you have your interviewer Mm -hmm. voice yeah. I have my interview guest voice, Yeah, you know, my artist voice when I'm being interviewed. But as an author, you're going to find, and you already have, I'm sure, that you have a certain way of saying things, phrases that you use, uh, rhythms of, of sentences that you use. Yeah. And I think developing that author voice and recognizing it is tough at first. Um, 
sometimes you can follow a rabbit trail the wrong way, think that's your voice and it's really not. Yeah. Other times you, your voice might be right under your nose and it takes you a full book to figure out that what your voice is and you got to go back and start the book again. You know? Yeah. Uh, and then the second voice is there. Once you have your author voice down, you kind of know your irrespective of the type of book you're writing, you kind of know your perspective and how you say things, mm -hmm. but there is a voice that goes along with the book too, the book voice. Right. So not only do you have your, cause you know, this sons of star Mount, this memoir of being a 10 year old is very different than a mental health memoir. Mm -hmm. The author voice is similar because it's me and it's developed, but the book voice is different. Yeah. And so I think the other thing of learning how to, differentiate between your author voice and what the, how the book needs to be told. Gotcha. And there's no way to do it without doing it. So I would shy away. And this might be the only, um, I might be the only person to give you this bad advice. I would shy away and this sounds backwards from going to seminars and reading books about reading book, writing books. I'd just write. Yeah. Uh, if you know, if you were going to spend a, a weekend uh, in, in Dallas going to a book writing seminar, it might be helpful, but it also might be helpful for you to sit your butt in a chair and write all weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I think um, the discipline of writing, and, and even if you have to write that thing three times, you'll get there. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I, that makes total sense. And like, I would have never put two and two together about the uh, not doing the seminar, because in my head, it's like, Oh, you know, it makes sense to go to a seminar, but it also makes a lot yeah. more sense to be like, no, just sit down and write. You'll, you'll figure it out. Now yeah. I will say that I did read a couple of books on book writing and I could suggest them to you. Um, Natalie Goldberg yeah. uh, wrote a wonderful book called writing down the bones. Yeah. And it's kind of about the, spiritual side of becoming an author, mm -hmm. which I think is as important as learning plot patterns and things like that. Yeah. Um, Anne Lamont wrote a book called uh, bird by bird. Wonderful book. Stephen King has an incredible book called uh, I think on writing. So I think it'd be good to read a couple of those, mm -hmm. but there are all these industries with all of the arts painting, sculpture, book writers, songwriters, artists, because the money for the artist and the art has fallen. Mm -hmm. But the amount of artists out there, I mean, just take Spotify, the amount of artists out there now and the amount of books hitting, there's something like 5,000 a day, something ridiculous like that. There are more books and singles out there you can shake a stick at. Well, what's happened is it's born this whole new industry of consulting and training. Yeah. Those people are making a lot of money and maybe rightfully so a lot of, them. but I think I would be careful not to get into a life of training to be a writer. And I just write. Yeah. And if you find yourself just really being stuck and not growing, then it might be time to, to seek out a, a particular, book or, or training program that might get you through that hump. But I think uh, a lot of people become uh, practice the art of being an author by going to symposiums all the time and, I, and skipping the process of actually writing. Yeah. Understood. Understood. Yeah. Well, I, I will take all that and just kind of. Might all be wrong, but there you yeah. go. <laughs> I mean, everybody's got their own approach and their own method. And For sure. You know, and I appreciate you sharing me, sharing with me and everybody listening, your thoughts on the approach to writing and how to, how to kind of take your first leaps into it. Um, but yeah. I, I don't want to keep you too much longer here. So um, kind of in that, in that or keeping that in mind, uh, if anybody wants to check out your music or anything else you got going on, where's the uh, best place for them to do that? Well, home base is my uh, my website, which is markelliotcreative.com. And Elliot has two L's, two T's. So Mark Elliott Creative. 
Um, and you can find music, books, blogs, everything yeah. from that space. You can find me on all of the uh, streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Amazon through uh, uh, just searching Mark Elliott. Uh, of course, I have that Substack newsletter called Words from the Hollow. Uh, the book, The Sons of Star Mount, is, is everywhere. You just throw it in Google, it'll, it'll pop up. So uh, I don't make myself hard to find. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, ju just uh, before we leave, uh, what's one piece of advice you have for the uh, young musicians out there? Writers write, players play, singers sing. I think I would become, and that whole adage of discipline is connected to inspiration. Don't sit back and go, I only write when I'm inspired or only jam out on the guitar when I'm inspired. Um, if you're serious, you'll abandon that way of thinking and you'll get disciplined about it. You'll get as disciplined as doing your taxes. You write every day, you play every day. You in, uh, I would say if you are doing that in your local community and you're moving up through the ranks of maybe playing bars and clubs and, and maybe doing some, uh, other events that are that are making you feel like you've kind of arrived, then I would say jump into an industry town, L.A., New York, Nashville. I don't think there's any other industry town, quite frankly, for songwriters than Nashville, mm -hmm. including New York and L.A. But I would say um, if this is something that you enjoy and you think you want to do as a living, learn how to be disciplined at it. Uh, it'll take a lot of pressure off if you're disciplined. For sure. For sure. hundred percent agreed. Yeah. But um, once again, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, let us know when you want to come back on and we'd be more than happy to have you. I feel like we've only scratched the surface is about what we, I have a feeling we could have sat here for three and a half hours and not been bored with. Well, you ask company. good questions. So that, that, that helps. I appreciate oh, thank that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. But um, once again, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we will see you all tomorrow at 7 30 PM. Good night. Good. Cool. We're good. We're clear. Great.